Hello, and welcome to an emergency show of the Hockey Assist, a basketball podcast. conversations that give basketball fans a deeper perspective on the game by connecting what's happening on the court to the sport at large. But we already dropped an episode actually earlier today doing our normal thing. And while we pride ourselves in having conversations that relate to the sport at large, today we are not doing that because Potentially, the bombshell of the NBA season has been dropped. My name is Nolan Cope, and here, as always, is my co-host, Riley Gaucher. What up, Mr. Cope? What a, what a day of tweet storms and, and woge bombs and shams getting in on the action, too. It was very, very exciting day to be a fan of this league and to be a fan of transactions, if that is that is your thing, which... It appears that a lot of lot of people it is. And it's not every day that something could pull my attention away from a president being impeached, let alone impeached for the second time. Yet here we are with the impeachment announcement coming on the heels of the James Harden trade by mere minutes. So I'll let the political podcasts talk politics. We are here today to break down the winners and losers of the James Harden trade based off of no other criteria besides the made-up criteria that Riley and I will be using tonight. Yeah, I I mean, before we go any further, I think you said earlier that this might be the bombshell of the season, and I sure hope that this is the only bombshell uh, of this magnitude that we get because I cannot uh, imagine that anything is going to surpass a, a league MVP being traded unless it's not good for the health or welfare or uh, you know enjoyment of the league. So my fingers are crossed that this is the craziest day in terms of you know uh, emergency news and emergency podcasting because I, I fear based on the, the trends that we talked about in our earlier episode that if we were to, to need to do another one of these, it might uh, be not for so interesting and positive reasons. Yeah, that's a great perspective. And jumping right into it, let's go through the breakdown of the actual trade. What has happened so far? Now, the dominoes may not be done falling, but here is where we're at right now. The Houston Rockets receive Victor Oladipo, Dante Exum, Rodion's Kuroks, the Brooklyn first round picks in 2022, 2024, and 2026, pick swaps with Brooklyn in 2021, 2023, 2025, and 2027, and a Milwaukee first via the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2022. I'm going to pause because that was a mouthful. Brooklyn received James Harden. Cavs, the Cleveland Cavaliers, who nobody saw coming, got 
Jarrett Allen, and Torian Prince. And the Indiana Pacers received Karis Levert. So, a whirlwind of transactions there. And our goal today is to break down the winners and losers of this mega trade. So first, we should look at the two teams who put the most on the line today. The Houston Rockets and the Brooklyn Nets. Riley, who should we start with? I mean, I, I think we have to start with the Nets because they're the ones, you know, who who went out and got the uh, the MVP in James Harden um, and and have, have mortgaged all of their future, basically, for the present. And so I think we should start with the present and deal with what is to come later in the pod. Yeah, we should talk about the present now because that is pretty much all the Nets have to look forward to. It's not every day that you have the opportunity to obtain a previous MVP who's still roughly in his prime. That is mind-boggling. However, for me personally, I am going to put the Nets in my loser category. What about you? I I have to agree. Um, Not because of, you know, the specific like values that they gave up or whatnot. I think the general principle to me of this um, seems a little bit rash. It seems like they went on all in on a team that we have no evidence at the moment, you know, besides a couple of games, you know, one of them which they beat up on the uh, lowly Warriors. Um, you're right. Like, I just don't know if there was enough for me personally, if I had been in charge of this, to say, bang the gavel, I'm I'm putting all my eggs in this basket, especially uh, with with a man, James Harden, who has uh, an unimpeachable regular season record, but his playoff record has left a little bit to be desired. He also was uh, worryingly a, a malcontent. You know, part of that might just be the politics of trying to force this trade, but between that, his attitude in the locker room, and also his, his play on the court and his conditioning um, and his respect of the league's COVID protocols, you know, he's he's not an asset maybe or a player or a, a leader at his the peak of his powers. And so for the Nets to, you know, dump all of they had into three guys, um, one coming off an Achilles injury, two who are at least over the age of 30, um, that, and then one, you know, who has proven to be a wild card. And, and we can, we already talked about Kyrie at length today, but I, I think it's, still worth mentioning now like his situation is very fluid and and unpredictable this just it seems really risky to me it seems a little bit too quick um and it it seems like a big swing that i'm not even convinced can put them all the way over the top do you do you see that too or why did you have them as losers so before we go any further i i agree with a lot of the things that you said we're going to break those down a little bit more here in a second But before we go any further, there's probably some people listening who are kind of furious with us for considering the Nets losers here. Because a lot of people will say, if you ever have an opportunity to win a championship, you have to go forwards to win that championship. And what the Nets did today is they have just assembled the best big three in NBA history. 
Right? Really? That's something you're comfortable saying? That's something I'm absolutely comfortable saying. They've got two multi-time MVPs. Now, I don't know if Harden's actually won the award more than the one time that he did. No, just once. Just the ones. I think he should have won it over Westbrook in the triple-double revenge year that Westbrook had. So yeah, we've got enough. two essentially multi-time MVPs. And one of the and on top of that, they have one of uh let, let me correct myself. Kevin Durant has only won one most valuable yeah, player. I, I was I was just looking that up. Yeah, um, I was. Uh, you're, you're you're embellishing their credentials a tiny little bit. Yes. Um. What what we have here are we have two MVPs who are both in their prime, as long as Kevin Durant's Achilles stays attached to his body, right? And we have Kyrie Irving, one of the most gifted on-ball players and crunch-time shooters that this league has seen in a really long time. Zach Cram of The Ringer put together a great article of, statistically, these three guys should have the offensive firepower to beat anyone on any day, right? Now, they may be the best big three in NBA history talent-wise, and there may not be a single team in this league, there isn't a single team, that has the defensive chops to guard all three of these guys at one time, right? Now, the jury is still out on whether they are going to be the most successful big three in NBA history. And the reason that we each yeah. have them in this losers category is because there's a lot of worrisome things going on here. Firstly, so I, can I, can I push back on that just a little bit? Sure. Um, you know, part of, part of the reason that I have them as losers is because I don't think that they are the best big three in league history. Um, I heard a really interesting argument the other day, you know, about Kyrie's value, right? It's like, and I, I agree with this take as, you know, he's probably the most gifted ball handler of all time. You know, like his, his skills, the complete package that he has, his ability to use those skills in game situations, it's unmatched. Um, you know, I'm not a huge historian, but, but I'm comfortable putting him up there, at least in the conversation. Absolutely. And yet, even that being said, right, is Kyrie the best player on his team? No. Is Kyrie, you know, leaving aside his teammates, right? Is he the best player in his division? Probably not. Is he leaving aside all the players in his division, right? Is he the best player in the Eastern Conference? Definitely not, because Giannis plays in his conference. And so, to me, you know, his value is a little bit inflated. Um, and then, just thinking about the totality of these three guys, right? Kevin Durant is the best defensive player in that in that combination. Now, he's a great defender. He's got a lot of, you know, ability, but to me, when we're talking about best, we have to look at the the comp the way that the pieces complement each other and the way that they can leverage each other to reach better heights. And I'm not I'm not convinced that these three guys uh, when you look at them are actually better than Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and Klay Thompson or maybe even LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. Sure. Now, I think, I think we should be able to come to an agreement on a modified statement where they may not be the best big three in NBA history, but maybe on paper, 
they're the best sure, that's big fair. three that's in fair. NBA yes. history because skill you, you like don't skill have level? you don't have any other skill wise better offensive players in the league than these three guys and maybe LeBron, right? Maybe Dame, maybe yep. Steph, but these three guys on paper are three yes. of the most yes. offensively destructive forces in this league. Now, putting those guys together should work theoretically. But there's a few points that I would point to that would say maybe they're not going to be at their best, right? They just traded away their starting center, their sixth man, and their other defender who could take playoff minutes against a Giannis or a Jimmy Butler besides Kevin Durant. Their depth just took a major hit. And guys like Bruce Brown, Timothy Luawo Cabarro, and even Jeff Green just became a hell of a lot more important to this team and are all going to have to defend at a high level because while this team may be raining in buckets, Riley, what's going to stop them from being a better resume Wizards out here with a a (laughs) high-octane offense and a turnstile defense? Yeah. um, I mean, I think... To me, that's that's one of those points that I'd like to hammer home with this entire podcast, this entire endeavor. It's right is that defense is still half the game. Um, I, there's a really interesting debate to be had about whether offense is more important because good offense still beats good defense or the best defense. Um, but I, I still think that we we still tend to underrate defense, and so that's my concern with this team. It was the, my concern with this team when we talked about you know contenders and pretenders and. I think I mentioned this too, is I think defense matters in the playoffs. Um, it could be that their offense is so explosive um, because, like you said, nobody can guard them. But I'm I'm certainly worried on behalf of the Nets that it might be, like you said, a wizard situation or or even a uh, seven seconds or less suns, right? Like a right. you know an offense that's explosive and has great playmakers at a ton of positions, but just cannot cannot stop anyone in and, and gives away all the benefits they have on one side of the ball completely back on the other. Yeah. Now, we've got to move on from the Nets because there's a lot of things, a lot of other things in play to talk about here. But before we do, there's a few more things in the optics of this trade that I don't love for the Nets. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. They have KD, Kyrie, and Harden taking up $114 million of their salary cap next year. <laughs> yeah, That's more than a lot of teams, full teams this season. So if the KD, Kyrie, Harden experience doesn't work out this year and like Dinwiddie walks because he's going to... He, like they, They've lost Spencer Dinwiddie at this point. I, it's going to be tough to fill in this roster around the edges. And if it doesn't work over these next two years, all three are under contract for this year and another year and have player options for the following. So if this doesn't work in the next two seasons, I'm, I'm worried that the Nets just traded away their whole future on that gamble of offense is more important than defense. And all of this is assuming that Kyrie Irving is there and playing. If he's not there and if he's not playing, 
this conversation becomes very immediately different, right? And there yeah. are even reports and, I, I and think... rumors coming out today that he is unhappy with the Steve Nash hiring, with the proceedings of what's going on. We still don't know, but these rumors are starting to come out, and that's bad. Yeah, and I think um, that's that's the real reason beyond, you know, I, I think we could both very easily be wrong of our assessment of these guys and their potential to win a title. Um, for me, the question then becomes, you know, how much is one title worth? Is it really worth seven years, um, five or six or seven years of, you know, before you're even a contender again, if this, you know, does pan out poorly? Maybe some players, some people would say yes. Uh, personally, I maybe I'm spoiled. It's it's very likely that I'm spoiled, but it's it's hard for me to to you know say what the balance is um, because when you're mortgaging that much of your future, it's it's really everything or nothing. And it, there's still a chance, right, that they this team doesn't win a title this year or next year, and then what, right? Like then you haven't even gotten the the supposed goal of of making a trade like this. So. We, it all remains to be seen, but right now I'm, I'm worried for Nets fans that they might uh, recreate the exact same thing that happened when they, you know, admittedly acquired Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett later in their careers. But, you know, same sort of deal where they were, they were awful for a number of years. Yeah, you, you make some great points, right? And uh, we should continue that conversation later. We got let's transition here to the Houston Rockets. Now for me... It's a bad sign if a blockbuster trade comes across with both sides being losers. Because there is a very strong (laughs) argument here for Houston as a winner. But I've got them here as a loser. And I'll tell you why. Okay? They just got Mm -hmm. an impressive amount of first-round picks. Four first-round picks and four first-round pick swaps. Okay? That is a massive draft haul. That's more than was gotten for AD, more than was gotten for Paul George. And it's it's not actually more than was gotten for Paul George. Is it not? But, uh, it no, it, it feels it feels like a lot right now. The recency bias must <laughs> yes. just be must just be kicking in. But these that this massive draft haul is huge. But what is maybe not being mentioned enough is that Daryl Morey had already traded away a ton of first round picks to build the team over the last few years. He gave up a few uh, yeah, and I would, I would, in the Westbrook I, trade. I even, so getting, yeah, would, go ahead. I was, I was going to say, I'd call it a, that uh, James Harden traded those picks away, you know, because he was done with Chris Paul and he wanted his friend Russell Westbrook in there. And, and so I, I think it's come out that, you know, Daryl Morey wasn't even really, in, you know, in favor of making that move. And so now it's a guy who, who held your franchise hostage, who was the one who just, you know, mortgaged your future. Sorry, yeah. I just wanted to clarify No, that. that's, a, that's a great point. And uh, it, it kind of builds in that the result of this James Harden trade of getting him out of there, it's less of a look at these riches that we have. It's more of a we're replenishing the cupboard that Daryl Morey left bare behind so the draft hall for me looks a little less shiny when it's not on top of all your personal picks or with other teams and whatnot now this with with that being considered victor oladipo is an obvious downgrade from harden 
And I think that uh, this Houston team still has a chance at the playoffs. But if they don't make the playoffs, they're going to lose their lottery pick to OKC. <laughs> which, which is which is yeah. another sort of little slap in the face there towards this. So the only way this trade makes sense to me is if Houston starts dealing John Wall and Christian Wood and Eric Gordon and PJ Tucker and just absolutely fire sale at the trade deadline this year to give themselves an actual large war chest of draft picks because draft picks are the hardest thing to turn into actual on-court talent. For every superstar drafted in the lottery, there is two busts, right? So for me, I is Houston in a better position than they were yesterday with all these picks and a player who maybe wants to be there in Victor Oladipo? Undoubtedly. But so good for this franchise for upgrading their position, but it still feels a little unsatisfactory for giving away an MVP. Sure. And I I mean, so I think part of that, and I don't want this to come across as me playing both sides, um, but part of that is, you know, it's, it's literally impossible even in draft assets to ever match the value of a guy like James Harden to your franchise. Um, He's, for all the the problems that I have with the way he plays basketball and his personality, uh, his effectiveness on the court can't be questioned, and his skill can't be questioned, and his ability to win regular season games can't be questioned. And it's impossible to get you know the commiserate value back in picks that you've lost when you lose an MVP or an, uh, you know a historic player, um, which Harden Harden is. Um, and so. Uh, you know, it's not maybe fair to judge them on that basis, but I, I do also feel, I agree with you, you know, that uh, Harden's value, he had tanked it pretty hard. They were still able to ring as much as they could out of Brooklyn. But I actually think that they're losers um, because they chose not to go in a different direction, because they chose not to take a package from Denver for Michael Porter Jr. Or even more prominently, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers reportedly were willing to put Ben Simmons in the trade. And so for me, this is this is a loss for Houston because, you know, the point of all those draft picks, right? The point of those draft picks is to get a player like Ben Simmons, who's 24 years old, is an all-NBA player. He's got limitations, yeah, but I think that's basically as good as you could even ever hope to dream to do with this cachet that they've acquired. And so for me, if I personally had been in charge of this, um, I would have much preferred to take Ben Simmons and a couple of the, you know, the promising young guys and a Tyrese Maxey or, uh, or sorry, in uh, a Tyrese Halliburton or a Maxey, the, the player that they just drafted. You know, I think that package with a couple draft picks thrown in sets them up to at least be competent, to be competitive, to, you know, to get fans in the seats again soon when that's possible. Um, and I just, I think, you know, it's the the old Simpsons joke about like, you know, behind this door at a, at a game show, like, you could take either this boat or anything. There could be anything behind the door. What do you want to do? And and Homer Simpson, if I'm recreating this anecdote right, says, wow, I'm going to go behind the door because anything could be behind there, even a boat, when he just had that, you know, that option um, right in front of him. And so I think it's kind of the same thing, right? Like, you're dreaming that you could get someone as good as Ben Simmons when he's, he's still right there. He's still young. And if you're able to 
you know, build your franchise around him, potentially like a, a player that I think could take you really far. So to me, maybe this was informed by Tillman Fertitta being a cheap-ass owner um, and really wanting to get below the luxury line and, and not really caring um, about the quality of the team because his primary concern right now is his debt. But, I, yeah, I just think this wasn't the best that they could have done. And it also, it's it's a it's a sad day for Houston because they've had a lot of success with Harden and they built their team around him. Yeah, you make, you make a lot of great points. And even though we have both Houston and Brooklyn in our loser category for this trade, there is an absolute clear path for them to each be monumental winners. Totally. So let's say and we could be very well be idiots. Yes, and they, and they could make us look horrible. So let's say for Houston, Victor Oladipo returns to all NBA form by basically sliding into the ball dominant James Harden spot with a, just a little bit less of the emphasis on the I'm going to pound the air out of this ball and Victor Oladipo and, and Christian Woods to do anything off off the ball. Yeah, and Oladipo and Christian Woods two man game develops and John Wall finds that all-star form again, right? There's a chance that they re-sign Vic. They make a few runs of the playoffs. And as these Brooklyn picks and Brooklyn swaps start coming in in the future after the Brooklyn experiment explodes, then all of a sudden they're infusing tons of young lottery talent into this team. And they never have to go through that full rebuild. And they get right back into the thick of things uh, as this decade goes along, right? Because... No no one's getting out of the Western Conference for the next year or two besides the Lakers or the Clippers, right? So playing a little bit I, of that I, long I, game. I have a – I'll quibble with that someday. But, yeah. Um, some, interesting. Some, interesting. Some, okay. Someday, yeah. So the, there's there's this absolute path where the Rockets could come out of this as glorify, as a glorified franchise that made the best of a bad situation. Now, there's also an op, option where the Nets – with this best on-paper big three in NBA history, ends up becoming the best actual big three in NBA history. They absolutely shoot teams off the floor and win the next two of the next three championships, right? And if that happens, then, of course, getting rid of non-All-Stars and Karis LeVert and Jared Allen was worth that. So both of these teams have that path but it's just each one requires a lot of things going right for it to work out for this team, and each one has a larger than I'd like potential to absolutely blow up in the franchise's face. Totally, uh, I think now that we've you know discussed that at, at length, we should move on to the other aspects of this deal and talk about some winners and losers from around the league. Um, you have listed in our in our rundown notes that you have the Cavs as a winner of this deal. Can you tell me why you think that? Yeah, because they their pick that they gave up in this deal was the bottom was what's going to be a bottom of the first round pick from the Bucks. And they traded that at that point in the draft you're essentially just taking flyers on guys you'll hope will be useful. They traded that pick for Jarrett Allen, who in recent weeks has absolutely locked up Rudy Gobert and Joel Embiid, right? So this probably means that they're not going to extend Drummond. 
So they may at the trade deadline, maybe they'll be looking to trade Drummond or Larry Nance or Kevin Love to recoup value from any of those guys. But for me, Jared Allen is better than all of them. And it is a great building block for this young Cavs team who needs more young building blocks. And they got them for really cheap. Yeah, I nothing more to add because that was a fantastic explainer. You know, that was doing gangbuster business to get uh, a guy that young and a guy that with that much potential for that that little of assets just by helping to facilitate this. So well done, Cleveland. As much as it pains me to say that, uh, well done. Yeah, and it's a wow. it's it's a it's a nice feather in the cap for Kobe Altman. You know, whose process has been critiqued a few times over the last few years, but for him to actually nail this trade and jump in and take advantage of some teams trying to swap superstars, you know, that's, that's a, a line GM stuff happening. Sure. And I think, uh, even, even better than what Altman was able to do was how the Indiana Pacers made out because as much as I love Victor Oladipo, you know, I, I feel like he's just got a fantastic game. He's in no fear. Um, a fantastic defender, you know, just a really, really dynamic player when he's healthy. Um, you know, he, he hasn't quite gotten back to all NBA level, which he was at a couple of years ago, and his contract is up at the end of the season, and he was asking for it to be traded this summer. And so for them, you know, to exchange him basically for free with a player that's under contract in Karis LeVert, who does similar things, plays, if not shooting guard, you know, a similar position um and has a, another bright future and is younger like that was just a fantastic fantastic move i think for indiana which is a team who are who have been consistently very very good the last couple of years underrated you know everyone seems to pick them not to make the playoffs or, or not to be challengers in the west or in the east excuse me and they always sign a way to do it because they have a really good core and i think they have a, a smart organization there and I think this is just another evidence of that, you know, for them to get Levert. I think they are clear, clear winners here. Yeah. Uh, I th- I think that moving forward, Karis Levert is now going to be one of my most intriguing players to watch going forward. I think he is going to absolutely skyrocket in his role with the Pacers. He's finally in a place where... He's got some consistency around him. They're running through a, a similar system. A lot of guys in the know. He's got an all-star big to play with, an all-defensive big to play with, a guy who I think is on his way to an all-star berth, Malcolm Brogdon. He's just going to be asked to not do too much and just cook when he needs to, and I'm really excited to see what happens there yeah. with yeah. him. Now, someone Levert is leaving behind, who I'm also excited for, is uh, Joe Harris. I'm putting in the winner location here because he should absolutely feast on the open looks that are coming his way of sh- with sharing the court with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. Everyone's attention is going to be on so many different places that they are going to lose him consistently, and he is going to rain fire on these other teams. He He's a guy I'd put as a winner for sure. Totally. Um, I, I think he might get fewer shots which is going to hurt him on my fantasy team, but his importance to the team has skyrocketed and, and maybe their outlook in the very short term could be higher than what they were before. So good stuff for Joe Harris. Yeah. I think uh, for me, you know, uh, another another winner 
that I want to mention um, is the idea of player empowerment. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for the league is, is a kind of separate question. Um, but this is just another referendum on the idea that players control when you're, you know, when you're a star, um, they let you do what you want. Uh, to quote a certain certain man who might have been impeached, um, and and so I think Harden being able to force his way to to a team that that was constructed by stars that's purportedly run by stars. You know, as much as I respect Steve Nash, I'm not sure how much his voice or his control is is on that organization at this moment. Um, and so I think it's it's definitely a winner for the idea that like contracts don't matter as much, and it's it's. Anyone, if they have the requisite level of skill, can say, you know, I don't want to be here. I want to play somewhere else. And, and that's going to eventually happen because they have the power, at least the way that the, the league is set up at this moment, right, to, to force that to happen. Yeah. And, and you, you make a lot of great points. And you also mentioned briefly one of my biggest losers from this trade, which is... Suns legend Steve Nash, who I was never sure if he was the right coach for this job, and he now has the most personality out of any franchise in the league in his locker room, <sighs> split between oh three dudes. I do not envy the headache that Steve Nash has at this very moment. He's got Dan Tony, who has that uh, previous relationship with Harden, but I... I am not envious of, of the position that Steve Nash is in, what he's going to have to do with that locker room. Sure. Um, I also have another another loser that's kind of uh, a little counterintuitive, but I would say uh, surprise is almost a loser here. You know, because as shocking as it was that this happened today, the the writing of this has been on the wall for so long. The uh, It was kind of immediately obvious as soon as James Harden started to hold out or, you know, quote-unquote hold out, and if you never officially did that this summer, um, that's like, oh, he's going to go to the place where his friends are and the place where D'Antoni is. And it, every, every, you know, everyone kind of predicted this for a while, and I, I think it's it's almost a bummer that, that we, we can't take a ton of things by surprise anymore in this league because everything, you know, the, the timelines, the way that we analyze all of this, it's so so obvious, like what the next shoe to drop is, what the the next thing that's gonna fall is, and I just think that's that's a little bit sad in my own very strange and warped personal opinion. Yeah, that's really well said. Uh, another another winner that I have is even though I do not consider the Houston Rockets to be a winner of this trade, I do consider their the last leg of their deal to be a win. Most specifically, their pick swaps that they have with Brooklyn in 2025 and 2027, as well as Brooklyn's first in 2026. Now, the reason why I consider these pick swaps to be a winner is because I think it's the part of the trade that they made that has the highest chance of paying off well for them. Because in 2025, Kevin Durant will be 35 with a repaired Achilles Kyrie Irving will be a 33-year-old, undersized point guard with metal in his knee. And James Harden will be 36 and starting to lose that burst that allows him to hit those those jumpers, hit those step-back threes, and get to the rim like he does. So assuming that these guys all stay on the team for five years, which is a big if, 
I think those picks will still have some incredible value just because none of those guys are going to be the world-beating forces then that they are now. So I know Houston will be getting some value coming their way in the middle of this next decade. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. Um, who knows what the future is going to hold, but players at that age, unless they're named LeBron, really tend not to contribute to winning um, as much as as you would think. So hopefully for, for Houston's sake, at least, that they are able to, to redeem this and, and you know get some good, good picks out of it. Um, you wrote down here another another winner um, that you want to talk about. And this is not at all a surprise to those who know you, but it is a, uh, a crib of one Bill Simmons and his famous Ewing theory. Would you want to explain to the listeners who don't know what that concept is, what you're talking about, and, and why you've included it here? In 1999, the New York Knicks lost franchise center Patrick Ewing for the season to injury. And what happened next was an incredible run where they squeaked into the playoffs with the eight seed and proceeded to rampage all the way to the NBA Finals before losing, which gave birth to Bill Simmons' Ewing theory. When a team loses its best player, but everyone around that him has the uh, desire to come together and the passion to come together and find success at all possibilities. Now, Houston just lost their undeniable best player, but Boogie Cousins and John Wall have made it clear that that locker room has not been friendly towards James Harden all year because James Harden quit on them, and he never gave them a chance. So these are some guys, as well as Victor Oladipo, playing in a contract year, who you steer them all towards... uh, towards the this path of the playoffs, I, I think they could come knocking for a four or five seed if everything starts clicking the way wow. it could. Yeah, no, um, I, I like this theory. Uh, I don't know necessarily that it's always true, but I, I love the psychology behind it and the, 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 the challenge mentality that it speaks to. Um, and I do think you're right. I think chemistry to me is something that I think matters, especially... Um, on the edges, right? It's obviously not going to win you titles, but it takes good teams to be great and great teams to be historic and bad teams to maybe be better than they should be. And so I think there's there's a very strong possibility that without the distraction of James Harden, without his uh, extra pounds that he's been carrying around, you know, um, that this team could take off. Maybe not. I don't see them reaching the heights that you were talking about as a four seed, but I, I think they could come for sure compete for the playoffs, even without their MVP and uh... supposed franchise cornerstone. Yes, thank you. That's uh, exactly what I was trying to say. Mascot. That was the, the M word that I was that I was looking for. There we go. Apologies to everybody out there. It's it's been a long week. Been a long week, been a long day. Riley, I've been a long year. <laughs> been a long year and it's only two weeks into it. But Riley, I have two more losers for you. The second one, I'd especially love to hear your take. My first loser is James Harden accolades, because a lot of what has built James Harden up as uh, an undeniable league superstar over the last several years has been his 
uh, accolades he's accumulated. He has been the scoring champ over and over, the all-star and first-team All-NBA over and over, and the MVP once, deserving MVP maybe twice. He's not going to get any of those anymore sharing the court with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, unfortunately. Yeah, and I, I think, to interrupt you for just one second, uh, when you were starting to list those things off, I was thinking, you know, the one thing that he's not going to have anymore is volume. And that's really been his calling card for, you know, he's been hyper-efficient, but it's also because he's able to run a, a massive volume of the kinds of plays he likes, isolations, pick and rolls. He gets to take more shots than anybody else on the team. He gets to use more possessions. His usage rate is is astronomical, uh, either leading the league or, or second in the league for, I believe, each of the last three or four years. And so it'll be very interesting to me to see if he can adjust to playing, as Zach Lowe calls it, uh, non-James ball, you know, playing in a, in a style with other superstars. Um, and if he can if he can still produce, maybe not to the, the levels that we've seen, but if he can, you know, reach reach the, the impact that he has had on winning in just a different way. Speaking of those other superstars, one final loser that I have, which I was sad typing out, and I'm sad saying right now, I think a loser coming out of this is Kevin Durant's legacy. Because Kevin Durant oh, is one of the best offensive and really one of the best all-around basketball players of all time. Undeniably, what he brings to the floor at his best is stuff of legend, right? Now, normally, sport player athletes in sports can make whatever personnel and team decisions they'd like to. As long as they win, then their legacy will be secure. That didn't happen for Kevin Durant. He went to the Warriors, he won a few championships... And the talk about him being a snake, the talk about him needing that system to win, never left. Which is why he came to Brooklyn in the first place, to supposedly have it his own way, to win his own way. And now, it's going to go one of two ways. One, they're going to win the championship, and the conversation is going to be, KD needs a super team to win. Or, they lose the championship, and they say, well, KD couldn't even win those championships with James Harden. Right. So so unfortunately, I see I see his legacy taking a hit either way, which is really unfair because he's, as you know, better than anyone, one of the best basketball players in the league. Sure. Um, You know, I I think I saw a really interesting discussion about this on Reddit today. Um, People still like to rehash the decision to to join the Warriors. Um, And what I think it comes down to, you know, he just miscalculated. He honestly, I don't think, expected the backlash that he was getting. And he, he heard all these comments from, from Chuck and, and Shaq on Inside the NBA and a ton of other places because, as we know, he's very plugged in to what people are saying about him. And he heard this idea that if he didn't have a ring, he wasn't going to justify his, his place in basketball history. And so he made a decision, which I, I still actually respect, right? It's like he thought, I need a ring to be validated. And so he went and got one. Um, and I, I still think he wasn't carried by the, the other Warriors, but he, he did contribute to that title, those two titles, excuse me. Um, and so I, I, I fully agree with you. I think it's a shame um, that there's really no you know, winning outcome for his reputation as someone who, who was the best player on a championship team. Uh, I don't personally uh, describe him that way when he was in Golden State, but in this case he would be, and he, he would still 
be lacking the adulation that he's he's clearly clearly looking for. Yeah, I you, th- those are some great points, and man, it has been one hell of a news day. I don't think this story is over. I don't think Houston's done dealing. I don't think Kyrie's coming back anytime soon. So we will be discussing this more in the future. Riley, why don't you take us home? Why don't you take us out of here? Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, uh, this this emergency podcast went a little bit longer than we originally anticipated, but hopefully you're all still out there listening. And if you are, we thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this has been an emergency edition of the Hockey Assist. Uh, when we are back on our normal schedule, you can look for new episodes dropping each Wednesday, finding us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, because like I mentioned before, Nolan has us reaching every single corner of the internet. Shout outs to India and our listeners over there. Uh, and again, if you have feedback or you want to engage with us or, or push back on some of our more asinine takes, don't hesitate to reach out on Twitter at hockey underscore assist, or you can hit me up at badluckriley12. Uh, with that, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we cannot wait to bring you more. For Noah Cope, I'm Riley Gaucher, checking out our emergency episode of The Hockey Assist. Have a good night.